Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Perhaps we've allowed pride or bitterness or hatred or jealousy or lust or greed or idolatry to take over our personal lives, forgetting that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And again, the Lord will not indefinitely tolerate that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, in a message titled, Jesus in the Temple. Now, here's Pastor Brian. You have turned my father's house, which is to be a prayer house, you've turned it into a den of robbers. That's exactly what happened. But notice here, and this is, again, going back to to John wanting to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus refers to the temple as my Father's house. And you know what he was saying when he said my Father's house? He was saying my house. Why have you taken my house? Because in that culture, you know, in our culture, we we will make a strong distinction between father and son. And in that culture, obviously, there was a distinction. But part of the father and son imagery is that there's a oneness between them. So Jesus, when he says this, he is claiming to have authority over the temple. That's his claim, that he has authority over the temple. Now, it's so interesting because there is a passage in Malachi. Now, Malachi, in in your Bible and mine, Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament, right? In the Jewish scriptures, if you have a Jewish Bible, it's Malachi is the last of the prophets, but it's not the very last of the Old Testament scriptures because they end on a chronological note with the end of Second Chronicles. They end at the period of the Babylonian captivity. But in the scroll of the prophets, the very last book would be Malachi. And this is what Malachi prophesied. And think about it in in regard to what we just read Jesus did. Behold, God is speaking, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's what happened right here. That's why Jesus does what he does and says what he says, because they're in his house. Now, 
Their response, of course, was, who gave you this authority? Who do you think you are to come in here and do this? And, and again, this is interesting because this is at the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. So he was not yet that well-known. He was known, but he wasn't yet that well-known. But he's beginning to put himself forward to the, to the corrupt leadership of the nation as someone who has authority. So their question is, who gave you this authority? And the answer, destroy this temple. And John tells us that Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus said, in other words, kill me. You want to know what my authority is? Kill me, and I'll come back to life. That's my authority. So what Jesus was doing there is he was pointing us forward to the ultimate evidence of his messiahship. The ultimate proof that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be is the resurrection from the dead. That's how we know. Listen, there are some people who claim to be Christian. There are some people who actually hold positions of authority, professorships, and things like that in so-called Christian seminaries who deny that Jesus rose from the dead. They just flat out don't believe that he did. But the scriptures tell us that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. So so from the biblical standpoint, you have no basis to have a seminary if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let alone be a professor at what? But there are those who have turned away from the the biblical faith and embraced some other version of Christianity that doesn't have a resurrected Jesus. Jesus said that the resurrection would be the, the evidence of his authority. And I believe that that is indeed the case. What authority does Jesus have? What authority did he have to do what he did that day? His authority was that he was the Lord and he would prove it by rising from the dead. What authority, people might ask today, what authority, or or why should I listen to what Jesus has to say about how I live? Lots of people would ask that question today. Or why should I listen to what Jesus has to say about how I am to worship God? Or why should I listen to what Jesus has to say about what I should believe? Or why should I believe what Jesus has to say as opposed to other religious ideas? Well, here it is simply. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you don't have to listen to him. (laughs) He's just the opinion of one man who obviously got a lot of things wrong, mainly that he was going to rise from the dead. 
But if Jesus did rise from the dead, which he did, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then he actually is the one who has the authority to address all of those issues in our life. He has the authority to tell us how to live, how to worship, what to believe, and to tell us the truth about God, even if it contradicts what other religious systems reveal or supposedly reveal about God. You see, it, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. But if he did rise from the dead, it's like C.S. Lewis said, if Christianity isn't true, it is of zero consequence. But if it is true, then it is of the utmost importance. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity isn't true, and why are we here? But he did rise from the dead. And I'm not going to take the time to go into all of the different things that you could use to support the, the scriptural claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But, but there are so many, so many things. Now, what, this is where I want to kind of begin to land here. We look at this story and we see it in its context. We see what Jesus was doing but here's a question. What are the practical lessons from this event that we today should take away? Well, there are a number of things. Like I said, we could go into deep detail on the resurrection and so forth, but we will leave that for now because we will get to it again and again. But I think one thing that we see here is that the Lord will not tolerate the defilement of his temple indefinitely. So the, so the temple was that, that place that God allowed to be built where he, in some sense his presence would reside. But even when it was being built, there was the recognition, Lord, the heaven of the heavens can't contain you, let alone this building. Solomon said that. He, he understood that. But it would be a place that would be identified with the Lord, and in a way, a special way, really, his presence would reside there. And because of that, God declared that he would as people looked in that direction and prayed in that direction, he would listen to their prayer. But he also warned over and over again that if they were to defile themselves with sin, he would abandon that place and he would destroy that place. And he had done that back in 586 when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. And it had been taken over again in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, in the 160s BC, and then finally again in 70 AD by the Romans 
God dealt with it. And now here Jesus is pronouncing a judgment. And Jesus will say about the temple before his ministry is over, after he cleanses it the second time, he will say, behold, your house. He's now referring to the temple as their house. They've kicked God out. Your house is left to you desolate. And then came the destruction. But again, the point is the Lord will not tolerate defilement of his temple indefinitely. Now, that was the temple then. And although there will be a temple again in the future, during this period of time, the New Testament tells us that the church is the temple. So Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God dwells in you? He says something similar to the Ephesians. And so Paul pictures the the church collectively as the temple. But then Paul also says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So according to the New Testament, the, the church collectively is the temple. All of God's people together, we make up this holy temple to the Lord. But then we individually are the temple of the Lord as well because we are indwelt by that spirit. So just as there was this time where Jesus had to cleanse the temple, if you will, purify the temple, then he will at times do that with his church as well. I just... So happened to be reading Revelation 2 and 3 over the past few days, just making a journey through Revelation again. And as I was reading the seven letters to the churches, sometimes I always forget, like, these are the words of Jesus too. You know, we think of the words of Jesus almost exclusively in the Gospels. And then I start reading this. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, these are the words of Jesus. These are seven letters that Jesus had penned by John and sent to the churches. And in those letters, there are seven letters, five of those churches are rebuked and warned of severe consequences by Jesus and then promised blessing if there is the proper response. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, this is, in a sense, five out of these seven letters, there's no condemnation for Smyrna or Philadelphia, but for the rest of the churches, there is a condemning word. But this is a cleansing of the temple, so to speak. This is what Jesus is doing. He's doing the same thing that he did in the actual temple in Jerusalem. He's coming in with his word, and he wants to clean things up. So listen to what he said. To Ephesus, I know your works. Each one of them, he starts with, I know your works. Then he gives them, in some cases, a bit of a commendation. But then he goes right to the issue. You have left your first love. I know your works, I know you're doing this, but 
I have this against you. You've left your first love. What is the remedy? He says, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So a cleansing. Jesus is seeking to cleanse. Pergamos and Thyatira. I know your works. I have a few things against you. And as we look at both of them kind of coupled together, we see that the the issues were the same. The issues were sexual immorality and idolatry. Sexual immorality and idolatry had set in. You know, I got a letter from a friend last night who informed me that the church that she's been involved with for quite a few years and one that I've had many friends there and known about and had dear friends that were early on in the pioneering of the work, that the church just voted to affirm same-sex relations and to perform same-sex marriage. Well, needless to say, she's no longer at that church. But these are the kinds of things that were happening back when Jesus wrote to the churches of Asia at that time. And these are the kind of things that happen throughout the long history of the church. Periods where the church falls into the sexual immorality of all different kinds of sorts. Times when the church falls into idolatry. And what is the word? Repent or I will come and fight against you. I will cast you into a sick bed. Then to Sardis, I know your works, that you have a name, that it's alive, but you are dead. Remember how you received and heard, hold fast and repent. Notice that word repent. Jesus uses it over and over again. And repenting is an invitation to turn. I think a lot of times people got the idea of repent wrong because it was always repent. Repent, you sinner. But that's not the heart of God. God's saying, turn, turn back to me. This is destructive. This will bring misery. This will lead to judgment. Turn around. That's what he's saying. Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither hot or cold. I'm ready to vomit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. You are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. And commune with them. And to each one that he gives the rebuke, he also gives the promise. To Ephesus, you will eat from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. To Pergamos and Thyatira, I will give you a new name and you will be clothed in white garments. To Laodicea, you will reign with Christ upon his throne. So again, These were letters to churches. And you will find in the church around the world today, you will find different conditions and you can bring it down sometimes to, or you could look at denominations, movements, 
You could look at congregations. But there are times when Jesus will come and like he did in Jerusalem, he will come and he will cast the things out of the temple that are dishonoring to him. But then finally, we have to see it also in a more personal sense. Now, whatever is happening in the churches collectively is happening because individuals are making bad decisions and doing things God does not want them to do. But there is a point where we have to go from the general to the specific, and so individually, perhaps... We've allowed pride or bitterness or hatred or jealousy or lust or greed or idolatry to take over our personal lives, forgetting that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. And again, the Lord will not indefinitely tolerate that. He gives us, he said to Thyatira, he said, I gave you space to repent. I gave you space to turn. And you know, God is not swift to judge. He's slow to anger. But if we persist, he gives us space to turn. But if we persist, there comes a point where he starts turning over tables. There comes a point where he starts dealing with us. So let Jesus forgive and cleanse. Don't persist in rebellion to him to the point that there has to be a scene like what happened in the temple in Jerusalem that day. But respond to that conviction of the Spirit. Let the one who allowed himself to be destroyed so we wouldn't have to be. Destroy this temple. That's what would happen. But why did that happen? Well, it happened so we wouldn't have to be destroyed. Why was that lamb slain and its blood put over the doorpost so that the angel of judgment would pass over that house, that they would not experience the judgment? So let's let the Lord have his way in our lives and, and let him continue to build the temple, if you will, that he is building in us and through us. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Basic Christianity by John Stott. What did Jesus come to do? And in what ways does that make Christianity unique? 
Does it matter if the claim that Jesus rose from the dead a historical fact or not? And what's wrong with believing that Jesus was simply a great teacher? In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott answers those questions and many more that are fundamental to the Christian faith and any genuine inquiry into understanding the historical Jesus. Ever since Jesus lived, he's been largely misunderstood by both religious and secular groups alike. But understanding who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he claimed are relevant for all people regardless of their current beliefs. If you're a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basics of the Christian faith. If you're not a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basic beliefs of millions in our global culture. If you want to know more about the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Basic Christianity by John Stott. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.